working our way through um, basic facets of uh, our faith. We started off with the cross. It's a cross-shaped faith. It's a shape that's uh, based on what uh, Christ has done for us in the cross. Um, it's, um, it's a new life faith. Through that cross, Jesus has given us the opportunity of new birth, a new life, new life with him. And as people uh, born into his family in new life, he gives us to the assurance of that, assurance of our salvation, assurance of our place in his family and his heart. Then we went on to look at his word spoken to us, uh, his written word for us, in which we can hear him speaking. And then last week uh, was, um, uh, was Pentecost, and so uh, we reminded ourselves that uh, at the core of um, our experience of uh, Jesus now is the power of his spirit at work in us. And today, we're looking at holiness and how to pursue it. And the PA team are looking at the computer and pursuing my PowerPoint on holiness. So what is holiness? In the original Hebrew and Greek, it's got two related meanings. So it means set aside for God's purposes, and it means pure and clean. And it perhaps wouldn't surprise you to discover that those two separate meanings are related in God's eyes because God is a pure God. If you want to be set aside, set apart for his service, you have to be pure and clean. Now in the Old Testament that was mainly understood in a physical way. So it was about washing your hands, washing your clothes, wearing the right clothes. It was about uh, eating the right things, um, being at the right, you know, doing the right thing at the right time and place. But Jesus applied that sense of getting clean to be useful to God, and he applied it to our inner lives. Jesus says, Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. So he's not thinking about food going in and whatever comes out. He's thinking about from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness. Envy, slander, arrogance, folly. These are the things that disgust God. These are the things that make us clean. All these evils come from the inside and make a person unclean. So this sense of cleanliness and purity is applied to our actions and our inner lives. Many people somehow have picked up the impression that to be holy means still to wear kind of holy dress, you know, cassocks and wimples and things. It means speaking in a, in a funny voice, praying long-winded prayers. It means spending most of your time in church, that kind of stuff. But that's not what Jesus says. 
What makes you holy is behaving in ways which are attractive to God and not behaving in ways which disgust God. So what does that mean? Ah, thank you guys. Well done. So here are some FAQs. Number one, do we have to be holy for Jesus to love us? Absolutely not. Jesus said over and over and over again that he came to reach those who are far from God, those who are outside the, the orbit, the ambit of God's love. He came to find the lost sheep, the lost son, and bring him back. He came to be a doctor to those who are sick. He refused to condemn the sinner who was brought before him, but forgave her. Okay, second frequently asked question. Do we have to become holy once we've received Jesus' love for us? Definitely. Some cynics say it's easier to ask forgiveness than to get permission. So go ahead and do what you want and then say sorry later. St. Paul gives that very short shrift in our first reading this evening. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Don't be ridiculous. Absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In thanks for what Christ has done for us and to stay close to him, we try to reshape our lives around him. Third FAQ, will becoming holy make us mean, smug, and critical of others? Well, no, it shouldn't. Christ was none of these things, and none of them are holy characteristics. Quite the opposite. If we are more like Christ, we will be the opposite of that. We will be kinder, humbler, and more compassionate. Fourth question, are holy people gloomy killjoys? Well, sadly, some trying to be holy have ended up being that. You know what, it takes a lot of hard work to face up to yourself. And without the joy of the Spirit, such seriousness can quickly become dismal. And two, if we hate the things that Jesus hates, we can slip into, without the Spirit's love, hating the people who do those things and resenting the happiness that they have, which would tend to make us killjoys. But if we are full of love and joy, we won't be killjoys but the opposite. Joy nurturers. So fifth question, does that mean we'll end up just being nice and can never challenge anybody? No. Though generally others might prefer it if we were. Apparently most people don't like being challenged. Jesus' teaching, his relationships and his behaviour certainly challenged his contemporaries and they definitely didn't like it. And his teaching still challenges us today. So what can we say about holiness? Okay, well, here's a few things. Only nine this time, not the full ten. So firstly, holiness is God's purpose for the world. True happiness is found 
in the holy God and in a life of holiness rooted in his nature. In the end, wicked, selfish, or godless lifestyles not only hurt other people, but they also hurt us. So accept holiness as central to God's purposes for the world, for all humanity, for you. Be holy as God is holy. Secondly, holiness starts with Christ. Not with our efforts to be good, but with Christ cleansing us through his self-sacrifice on the cross. So, receive from Christ his gift of holiness. Thirdly, holiness is Christ... Oh, we're a little bit further on from there, sorry. Moving on. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep going. Uh, keep going, keep going. Okay, one, two, three. There we go. So holiness is Christ-likeness. It means looking to him and shaping our character on his. He is the motivation and the model of our holiness. So model yourselves and your holiness on Christ. Fourthly, holiness is depicted in God's word. Since we are flawed, and the lens that we're looking through is smeared, is blurred, we, we can't really tell what holiness is unless we look at it from the outside. So we need God's word to see us from the outside, to show us what holiness is and what it looks like in particular situations. So read God's word to see what holiness looks like. Fifthly, Holiness involves both us and the Holy Spirit. Paul says, and this is a kind of, there's a, a dialogue, there's a, there's a, a dilemma or a, there's, a, there's a paradox in this. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You work it out because God is working it out in you, enabling you to work it out. We're both working at this together. The Spirit grows his fruit within us as a natural byproduct of his presence in us. But we can't just ignore it and let the Spirit get on with it and not be involved or be bothered. We have to be at work too, cultivating the soil, removing the stones and the weeds in order to allow the Spirit's fruit to grow within us. So work with the Holy Spirit at your holiness. Sixthly, holiness takes time. Though it starts with Christ's gift of cleansing, it turns out to be a, a lifelong work, growing in our lives the fruit of the Spirit. I planted broad beans yesterday, and do you know what? To my disgust, there are no broad beans on the plants today. It's going to take some time. I'm going to have to keep working at it, you know, putting on water, when, watering it when it's dry and pulling the weeds out around it. God will go on working from the inside of that plant in its nature to grow the broad beans. But it's not going to happen overnight. Well, it didn't happen overnight anyway. And in our holiness, that's the, the same. That's true too. 
So that means we can let the Holy Spirit guide us in our work on our holiness. If God were to reveal to us right now everything that was wrong with us, it would be even worse than our parents or our husband or wife or our children having a go at us because we would see everything that's wrong with us and we would be overwhelmed. We can let the Spirit choose the right time to put his spotlight on the thing that we need to deal with next, particular behaviors or relationships of ours. We don't need to attempt everything at once, but once the Spirit has shown us something, put his spotlight on us, shown us a weed, then we need to work hard to pull it out. If we leave the roots in, then of course it's going to grow again and the Holy Spirit will bring us back to it again and again until finally it's removed completely from our lives. So be patient and go on working at holiness. Seventhly, holiness makes us useful to God. God blesses all his children and invites us to join with him in his work in the world. But as we grow in holiness, he can use us more effectively. Paul says this to Timothy. In a large house, there are lots of articles, some made of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are used for really noble purposes, and I guess he's thinking about, you know, kind of gold goblets for drinking from. And others are used for ignoble purposes, and we won't really go into what they might have been used for. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, then he'll be an instrument for noble purposes, made wholly useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. If we are clean, then we are more useful for more, um, more significant and attractive and important things that God may want to do, that he can do through us. Negatively, many a ministry has been destroyed by sexual or financial sin, by unrestrained anger or an uncontrolled tongue. But more positively, a truly holy, Christ-like character is powerfully attractive and allows God to use all that we are and do and say for Christ far more effectively. I know that nobody wants to do the washing up, but also nobody wants to eat off anybody else's dirty plates. So let's work at our holiness so that we can offer a holy life to God in his service. Eighthly, holiness is costly. It's difficult and it's painful. It's humbling and it's relentless. If you were here seven years ago, you would remember our last building project phase in which this building here was, was surrounded by a cardboard box, you, uh, the church that worships in a cardboard box. Everything was covered by dust falling down from the work that was being done above. Everything was always moving. The office was in three different places. And even the silver safe, which is, which is really, really heavy, got moved three times. Nothing was ever where we last left it. I lost a number of things in the move. 
It was hard work. And it's rather like that with holiness because we go on living and working and acting and deciding whilst the building work is going on within us. The problem with the building work with the church was that we carried on living and working and worshipping here whilst it was happening around us. And so we really felt all of the kind of change and the dust and the inconvenience. And as we go on living our lives as Christians, our discipleship, in that change that's going on in us, we keep coming up against the inconvenience, the dust, the dirt of the change that God is trying to work in us, that his spirit is working in us. It's very annoying, it's very inconvenient, annoying for everybody else and for us. But what God is building in us through this process is eternal character, which is going to be with us forever. God is at work doing something very, very special in us. And Paul speaks of our lives as being built with gold and silver. Let it not be with straw and wood and hay which is burnt up and destroyed. So let's build. Let's work with the Spirit to build character of gold and silver that is glorifying to God and enduring. Something of eternal value and beauty. So invest in your holiness. And finally... Holiness draws us closer to Jesus. As we make holy choices, we find ourselves more attracted to Jesus, living with a closer sense of his presence. But the opposite, I'm sorry to say, is also true. When we make unholy choices, we also distance ourselves from Jesus. We start to think that the church will criticize us, and so we avoid the church. Worse than that, we may start to think that Jesus will criticize us, and so we avoid him too. I've, see, I've seen it happen just too often, and it's really tragic. People choose a relationship or a lifestyle, some choice of behavior, and it becomes important to them and they, they know that Jesus loves them, but they don't want to risk that Jesus might ask them to let go of, to forego the thing that is so precious to them. And in the end, that thing is more important to them than Jesus is. And so they push Jesus away. But if they manage to let go of that thing, then like a new conversion they will suddenly find that it is no longer dragging them away from Jesus, that they can approach Jesus again. They are free to move towards him. Because in the end, holiness is not about doing good things. Holiness is about being near and being like the one who is good. John got it right as he described the life of his ministry 
the life of us all as disciples. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, hears the bridegroom's voice and is glad because his friend is approaching. He must increase and I must decrease. The choices in me must no longer be about me, but about him, my friend, the bridegroom. The joy of hearing his voice is mine, and it is now complete. It wasn't much longer after that that John, standing firm for the challenge of holiness, even in the life of the king, of the people of God gave his life for love of his bridegroom, for love of his heavenly father. And so his words here are prophetic. This joy is mine and it is now complete. John is happy to hand over his ministry onwards because the ministry is not the important thing. It's the arrival of the bridegroom, the arrival of the friend, the arrival of the Son of God into his life, which makes his joy complete. When a restaurant is under new management, things start to change. First it's the chef, and then it's the menu, and then it's the decor, and the cutlery, and the waiters and waitresses, and probably then the whole kind of value system of the restaurant. Well, John and Paul use an even more radical image. When someone is born, it all starts completely anew. When we are born again, everything that was before stops, and we start with a completely new framework of life. With our new birth in Christ, we open ourselves up to be changed in every way, reflecting the fundamental character of the change that is at work in our innermost being, in our nature, which Christ has worked in us. With our new birth in Christ, God the Father plants in us the longing to become more like Jesus, to become more Christ-like, developing the characteristics of our perfected humanity in him. And by his spirit, he gives us the power to become what we now long to be. Yes, it's going to be a long and painful business. I'm sorry. I love that phrase that I saw uh, when I was uh, a teenager. Please be patient with me. God has not finished with me yet. But to become Christ-like will, in the end, enable us to dwell at ease in God's presence and to be more useful partners in his mission. Is that sufficiently worthwhile for you? Will you give your life to growing in holiness? I'll leave the last words to Paul.
So do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, your hand, your feet, your eyes, your ears, and so forth, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the new birth that we have in Christ, into a new life, a life which is eternal. And we acknowledge, Lord, that the life that we brought with us, that from which we came into this new birth, was not entirely a life pleasing to you. And so we ask for your grace and the power of your Spirit to be changed in every way. In our thinking, in our speaking, in our doing. From the inside out, may we show your glory, the glory of the only Son, as we become more and more like him, change from one degree of glory to another. A prayer, prayer, I pray most Sundays as I lead, as I prepare to lead uh, the nine o'clock service. O Christ, the master carpenter, who upon the cross in wood and nails has worked our full salvation, wield well your tools in the workshop of our hearts, that we who come to thee rough-hewn may be by thee fashioned to a truer likeness of your glory.